Well, welcome again. So good to see so many of you here for our last um, night of Bible study. How many of you, just raise your hand if you've been here all five weeks this summer. That's a lot of people. That's awesome because it's not easy to do that during the summer. Good job. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Misty Denman. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. Really, really glad to be with you here tonight on this last night of our summer series. I have loved this series. It's been a long time since I've studied some of these women. Um, I've really loved looking at these women who have had hardships and tests of their faith, and yet each in their own way have really pursued the Lord in that. It's been so um, inspiring to me. I love how that has made all the difference in each one of their lives, but in these very different ways. Each one of them have been so unique. And tonight we get to meet a woman named Mary from the village of Bethany. So we're going to call her Mary of Bethany to distinguish her from all the other Marys in the New Testament. Bethany was a village just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And this Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So as I began studying for this lesson, one of the things that stands out about Mary and Martha and Lazarus is how they were such good friends with Jesus. And I realized I had never before thought about Jesus' friends. And I know he had his disciples who were friends in some many aspects probably, but that sort of wasn't their primary role. And he had family. Um, don't you just wonder what it would have been like to be Jesus' friend or for Jesus to be your friend, like the kind that just sort of hung out with you sometimes and went to dinner with you sometimes and just talked about just everyday things? I've been so curious about that as I've studied this. And then I realized, you know, what an amazing thing it was for Mary to not only be Jesus' friend, but to worship him as well. And then I realized, hey, we have that exact same privilege. We are both friends of and worshipers of the Lord, and it's been a really fun thing to think about. I want us to think about that as we go through tonight because we'll see lots of aspect of both being a friend and a worshiper of the Lord. Tonight, we're going to look at three separate snapshots of Mary and her relationship with Jesus. And in each of these snapshots, we see a woman who sat at the feet of her Lord and Savior, and she allowed his words to shape every aspect of her life. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at that first um, great picture we have of Mary. We'll look at uh, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Given the choice between a good thing and the best thing, Mary chose the best thing of all. Now, Jesus has completed much of his public ministry by this time. It's probably about the um, fall of his last year, so about six months before he goes to the cross. He's very well known at this point. He's healed many. He's taught many. He has many followers. There would probably be many people who are clamoring for his attention and trying to um, 
um, have him heal them because the word was so uh, well known about him. There were also many people at this point who disliked him, who even hated him as well. And Jesus was a guest for dinner in the home of his friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And amidst the intensity of what must have been um, uh, just a, a daily life with a lot of demands, a meal with friends must have been, I think, very just welcome rest and respite. But Jesus wasn't only there to rest and to eat. I don't think he really ever was. As dinner was cooking, he used that time to teach whoever it was that was there. So what was he teaching that night? We don't know for sure. His words aren't recorded. But based on everything else we know about what he said and taught, it was probably very similar that he was the Christ, that he was the son of the living God, that that truth was life-changing to anyone who would believe in that in every way possible. And like many other times recorded in Scripture, he had a mixed response to that message. This time we get to see the response of the two sisters, Martha and Mary. And poor Martha, while the God of the universe was sitting in her own home, speaking the best and truest words ever written, she missed them. She didn't mean to. Jesus was her friend, and she did understand that he was much more than that. We will see in a later passage that she truly did have a genuine and saving faith in him. And she really just wanted him, I think, to be in a welcoming environment, to have a rest, to be blessed. She wanted to serve him well, and she was working as hard as she could to provide that for him. And I know that she's easy for most of us to relate to, isn't she? I have um, two teenage sons, and if Jesus were coming to my house for dinner, I would be very distracted by the scrubbing of that bathroom and the picking up of smelly socks before he got to my house. And if I hadn't had time to, by the time he got there, I would have gone and done that probably before he had a chance to go in there. Um, the truth is also that I've really worked on this a lot um, and don't do it so much anymore, but there were a number of times in the, my early marriage where I would invite, we would invite somebody over for dinner. I would try to cook a meal that was really beyond my capabilities. I would get frustrated and hot and tired and stressed out, and then I'd run around trying to get it all cleaned up before they even got there. And doorbells would ring, and I had fussed at my family and gotten... Um, just out of sorts. And by the time somebody comes to the door, neither I or anybody else in my family was in any place to sort of fellowship and bless anyone else. Um, and I had the best intentions always, but I've learned not to do that to my family so much anymore. Um, it's where we find Martha, I think. She was so preoccupied with her household tasks and trying to prepare this lovely meal that instead of blessing him like she meant to, she sort of just put him right in the middle of a family squabble. And I think, though, that it's kind of fun to think about how this little outburst she had really speaks to the friendship that she and her sister had with Jesus, because no matter how mad you are when you have someone in your house that you don't really know you're going to put your best face on and not say anything about it, she doesn't do that. She kind of lets her real self out there. Um, but she did accidentally miss everything that Jesus was saying. So let me read again that just gentle but very firm answer that Jesus um, responded to her little outburst with. He said, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken 
um, from her. Jesus showed loving concern and care for her anxiety, but he didn't give in to what she asked for because it wasn't what either of them really needed. So what was that good portion that Mary chose? It was that she sat at the Lord's feet and she listened. Mary teaches us great truth here. In the comparison between good, two good things, only one of them can ever be best. And the best portion that day was to sit at the Lord's feet and to drink in every word he said while she had the opportunity to do that. Houses could always be cleaned. Meals could always be cooked. Um, but Martha and Mary only had the Lord with them for just a short time. Without realizing it, Martha's distractions with doing cost her out, cost her just an immeasurable gift. Look with me at Mark 8, 14 on your verse sheet. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear God's word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Mary knew that listening to and learning from her Lord was more important in that moment than anything else she could be doing. It was very common at that time for a rabbi to teach and for his students to sit at his feet and listen. Right then, Mary's number one priority was to learn from her Lord and to treasure up every word that he said, and she was unwilling to be distracted. Look with me at Psalm 27 on your verse sheet. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That psalm is written by King David, but I think it very much expresses Mary's heart as she sits at his feet there. So what can we learn from watching Mary? Well, one thing we don't learn is that there's no need to pay any attention to our homes or our jobs or our families. That wasn't Jesus' point. In fact, in Luke, this story that we just read of Mary and Martha uh, follows right on the heels of the story of the Good Samaritan, which was very much about um, Jesus encouraging us to put our faith into action. So it's not um, really a question of doing or just sort of being contemplative. Um, instead, what we can learn from Mary is that our first and greatest duty as believers, is always to be disciples. It's to purposefully and energetically drink in God's word every day and then to live it out in such a way that it reflects the gospel. As I've studied Mary's choosing Jesus above all else um, and what she gained by doing that, I have both been convicted and re-energized in my own time with the Lord. There is nothing like having to stand up and talk to somebody else about something to be um, convicted about it. So um, what I reflected on as I have been studying this is my last spring. And um, let me give you a little background. I'm very much a morning person. I like to be the first one up in the house almost every day. I just like that kind of quiet, simple time before um, lots of things start going on. It takes me just a few minutes to wake up, so it's always been in my habit to kind of have that first cup of coffee while I do some chore, like unload the dishwasher, fold a load of laundry or something like that. And then I have that second cup of coffee and sit down and spend some time with the Lord while the house is still quiet. This spring was kind of crazy with all of our schedules and just life was kind of crazy. 
And what I found myself doing some days was kind of thinking toward the end of the night, and so I would unload the dishwasher, and then I would look over and see this other thing that needed to be done and think, oh, this evening would be so much easier if that was done now, too. And then I would think, oh, and if I could just get this load of laundry done, it really, you know, then I wouldn't have to think about it later or whatever. And over and over what happened is before I even realized it, it was time to leave for the day to get kids out the door and for me to leave, and I had never sat down with the Lord And I needed it as much as I've ever needed it in my life. And I missed out on it. And you know what I missed out on it for? For a kitchen that was clean when I left and was already dirty by the time I got home that evening. And I know it's, it's funny, but it's also ridiculous when I would come home and realized that what I had missed out on was sitting at the Lord's feet for something that had no purpose and no meaning and no lasting value at all. Um, so I have um, certainly learned from Mary's example to choose the best thing over a good thing to be more wise in the way I spend my time with the Lord. Our lives are busy. There is a lot of work to be done for all of us, but Mary's wise choice reminds us to allow God's word to come first. So my encouragement tonight is just to take some time to consider if there's something you might want to either simplify or eliminate in your life to carve out more time to sit at his feet. Before we move on to our next portrait of Mary, I want to point out something that is really remarkable about Mary's friendship with Jesus. It's something I don't want any of us to miss, and that is that Jesus encouraged women to learn from his teaching and be a part of his ministry in a way that was completely countercultural at the time. If you've been um, here for the studies of some of the other women, you've probably noticed that as well, especially, um, I think, with Mary Magdalene and the woman at the well. So here's the deal. If you back up all the way to the gen- to Genesis, God created men and women in his image um, with separate and unique but equally valuable roles. It was never God's idea that women would be oppressed or abused or disrespected. But by Jesus' time in the first century Roman Empire, um, Jewish women had very few legal rights, very little education, um, were largely confined to... Um, just into really into their homes um, with very little freedom or ability to exercise their um, their gifts. This was a way of life that was strongly supported by most of the rabbis at the time. But I love that Jesus was just having none of that. He was fully man and fully God, and had created those women in His image, and He very personally elevated the status of women throughout his um, ministry. And it was often the astonishment of everyone around him, even the disciples who had been with him so much. The way he spoke to and about women conveyed a deep value, a deep respect. And you really see it in the way that Jesus not just allowed, but encouraged Mary to sit at his feet and be a learner. That truly just did not happen in his day. In fact, the truth is, many rabbis considered women to be intellectually incapable of understanding what they were saying, and they weren't part of their teaching at all. I think it's also really cool that the early church followed in many ways in Jesus' footsteps. He did establish a pattern um, where women would be a part of those early home churches and acts. 
Paul called women fellow workers with him in Christ, and he even wrote this in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here he puts all people at equal footing in front of the cross before the Lord. What Jesus did and continues to do for women is life giving in every way, and I am grateful for that. All right, well, let's continue to look at Mary as she responds this time to some personal tragedy in her life. Turn with me to John chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Remember that verse. We're going to come back to it later. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now drop down to 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We're going to stop there for just a minute. So Mary followed Jesus in the midst of both joy and sorrow. When Lazarus falls ill, his sisters know just what to do. They run for Jesus. He is where they have placed their hope. Look with me at Psalm 38 on your verse sheet. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Now, Jesus knows before any of this happens that Lazarus will get ill, that Lazarus will die, and that he will raise Lazarus back to life. And he knows that some who witness this miracle will come to a saving faith in him, and he knows that others will hate him for it. This uh, will actually be Jesus' last miracle, and it is also sort of the final straw, so to speak, for those who were already looking for a way to kill him um, and it's Martha and Mary who are closest to Jesus and his great act of love and power here before his death. So Lazarus falls very ill. Jesus is sent for. 
before, um, before Jesus gets there, Lazarus dies. He's actually been in the grave for four days when Jesus gets there. Martha and Mary are grieving. It would have been the common practice of the day in Jewish households to after you would bury your loved one to come back home and stay there for a week mourning and your family and friends would come and sit with you to console you as it says and just um, be, be alongside you in your grief. I think it's a really lovely um, um, custom that they had. So while they're there at the home, someone else must have gotten word, saw Jesus coming into the village. They run and tell um, everyone, or at least Martha and um, Mary, about that. I, I think it's so funny how fast word traveled then, even without cell phones. Um, the sisters respond to Mary's or to Jesus' arrival very differently, and I think very in character with their personalities. Martha runs out of the house immediately to meet him. She runs so fast, in fact, that he's still outside of town when she gets there. Mary remains at home, and this actually would have been um, what would have been expected of her because this was that week of mourning where she would have um, been there anyway. Martha has this incredible encounter with Jesus. She acknowledges that he has the power over uh, life and death, that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the son of the living God. And after Jesus spoke with Martha personally, he asks her to go and get Mary. His love for this family um, and how personally he knew them is real evident here, I think. Also notice that this family's close relationship with Jesus and their faith did not insulate them from tragedy. It didn't re-insulate um, them from hard things, but it did allow them to experience the comfort and presence of Jesus in the midst of it. And that is the same for us as well. So when Martha comes back to get Mary, what she says to Mary is that the teacher is calling for you. Again, we see that Mary is a student of Jesus and his word. Jesus calls for her. She quickly goes for him. It's, um, the word says Mary trusts and obeys Jesus without hesitation. Her grief did not cause her to either question God's goodness or his power or his authority in her life. In fact, I think it made for her her longed for him even more. When she gets up to leave, a lot of the people that were in the home with her followed her. They're assuming that the only reason she would leave would be to go uh, to the grave and grieve there. So they're going to accompany her. What they don't know is that Jesus and her pursuing the Lord actually is causing them to, um, and she's leading them straight to Jesus, both physically and for some of them spiritually as well. Earlier, Mary sat at Jesus' feet when he taught about the kingdom. Now she falls at his feet in submission and in grief and in worship. It's so interesting to me that both Martha and Mary say the exact same thing to him when they first see him. Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. Now, from neither sister is, was this a complaint or an accusation. It was really actually a declaration of their faith. They acknowledged that Jesus had the power over life and death, even the power um, to, to heal anyone he wanted to. And as they speak, Jesus weeps. I think when he saw his friends, um, he just related to them so deeply and cared for them so much that the word used there for weep actually means to burst into tears. 
He's profoundly sorrowful for the death of his friend. He's profoundly sorrowful for the grief of the sisters. And I think he's profoundly sorrowful just at our fallen world and the fact that the evil of death exists and how different things are from the way it was created, uh, the way God created it to be. But as Martha and Mary and the disciples and many others look on, Jesus speaks and even the grave here obeys him. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and verse 45 tells us that many of the Jews who had come along with Mary believed. It was her visible and her active faith that drew others to the Lord so that they could know him like she did. She loved Jesus, and he loved her, and when sorrow struck, she clung to him, and without hesitation, she came when he called She trusted his words, she trusted his promises, she trusted his love, and all of that happened before Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. So what enabled Mary to cling to the feet of Jesus even when life was really hard? What enabled her to cling to the feet of Jesus even when she knew he had the power to prevent her her pain and her brother's death but had chosen not to? She was able to hold on tight because she knew him so well. Her time learning at his feet, treasuring up his word, pondering what he said meant that she had this storehouse of faith to draw from when she needed it, and she did. I know we want to be women who trust in Jesus both in our sorrow and in our joy, and so that means that we also need to be women who sit at his feet, who take his word deep into our hearts, and then we too can trust him when life is hard. So our third snapshot of Jesus and Mary is, in my opinion, the most extraordinary of all. It comes just one week before Jesus will go to the cross. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels. Hopefully, if you got to the end of your questions, you got to read two of those accounts. I'm going to read the third one here. The one I'll read is in the Gospel of Mark. So turn with me to Mark 14. And we're going to start in verse 3. And while he was at Bethany... Oh, wait, just a second. I still hear pages turning. Lots of turning in this one. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, "What what was the ointment wasted like that? Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, and what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mary loved her Savior extravagantly. 
We can't know for sure, but many scholars think that this um, Simon the leper, where they're, whose home they're eating in, was someone who Jesus had healed. Leprosy was very contagious. Lepers would have lived outside of the village and not had the privilege of getting to have dinner with others. So it's likely that this was the case. That nickname stuck, as nicknames often do. He's still known um, for this disease. I think it's just a lovely thing to think of somebody that Jesus had healed and restored and in all likelihood brought to a saving faith is now getting to serve him just this week before he dies um, with a meal and friendship and a time of rest. We know from the accounts of this same story in Matthew and John that this woman is our same Mary of Bethany. What she does here is a most extraordinary thing. She anoints Jesus' head and his feet with pure nard. Nard would have been an oily extract that came from the root of a plant that grew far away, mostly in India um, and, in, and in areas around there. It was extremely valuable because it was grown so far away and that oil was, would have been a laborious thing to extract. That um, cost of the nard that she poured out would have uh, been about the same as uh, the yearly wage of one, uh, maybe a a rural farm worker or um, someone who was a common laborer at this time. The jar she had would have been carved out of this soft, whitish colored stone. Um, it would have been uh, easy. It was, a, it was a stone that was easy to carve. It would have been about a liter, so probably about this big, and it probably had a long, thin neck to, because once the oil was poured in, that long, thin neck would have prevented it from um, evaporating. The jar would be sealed, and so when it says that she broke that jar or broke that um, to use on him, she meant to use that entire costly bottle of oil up. She wasn't holding any of that back. Uh, it was common for uh, guests in a home to be anointed with some sort of oil as um, just a way to honor them, but it would have been um, a much less costly um, and common oil that would normally be used. And we aren't sure how Mary had this nard. It's possible that it was part of a dowry. It's possible that it was part of an inheritance she had, maybe from a father or a husband. We're not sure where it came from, but we know this. Um, She would have come into the house probably, um, I think, hiding that jar perhaps in her skirts. Nobody, I think, saw it before she was ready to um, lavish that on her Lord. The uh, Jesus and the disciples and some of the other followers would have been sitting around the table already uh, waiting for their evening meal, perhaps already eating it. Um, she would have come and stood by her Lord, opened this bottle, broken it so that all the oil could come out, um, poured it freely over his head. There would have been enough. That liter was a, a large amount. Covered um, maybe other parts of his body and certainly his feet as well. And because we know that she did um, um, rub his feet with this oil, we know that every time that Mary is mentioned in the Gospels, she is seen at his feet. That fragrance would have been very strong. It would have... um 
It would, it would have smelled over the whole house. It would have gotten everyone's attention. Everyone would have stopped to see what was happening. Some of Jesus' closest followers call her out real publicly about being wasteful. And these were not only men who were friends with Jesus, but would have probably been friends with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus as well. And yet they're real quick to jump to conclusions. Uh, they're quick to judge. They're quick to publish, uh, criticize her publicly. But before I get too judgy about them being judgy of her, I will say that with the exception of Judas, they probably had real good intentions. They were thoughtless and rude, but didn't mean to be, I think. Um, for three years, Jesus had modeled simplicity. He had modeled um, a great humility. He had... Um, modeled caring for the poor and needy and denying ourselves to look out for other people. These were not ordinary times, though. Jesus was just a week away from his death. He had spoken openly and plainly many times before this night about his upcoming death. Look with me at Mark 8.31 on your verse sheet. As he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. This isn't the only account that he gives saying pretty plainly what's going to happen to them, but the disciples were not getting it. This um, was still not computing with them. But you know what? Mary got it. When Jesus spoke, she listened and she understood, and I think all that time she had spent quietly taking in his word at her feet, at his feet, listening to him, had grown her into a woman with real deep spiritual insight, more spiritual insight at this point than many of the disciples had. When Jesus spoke about his death, she understood him, she believed him. Um, she took him at his word, and she wanted to express her love and gratitude for him while she still had a chance. So Jesus comes to her defense. He declared that what she had done to be a beautiful thing, he understood her heart. What Mary did was an outward demonstration of that deep devotion and adoration she had for him. And he so highly valued what she did that he promised that her story would be told wherever the gospel was told. In keeping with that promise, it is in three of the four gospels. And then also, remember in the last story we read how, um, I think it was John, identified her as the Mary who had poured the ointment on Jesus? What that tells us is that at the time that John wrote that, Mary was already known in the community as the woman who had done this for the Lord. So her story had already, because it hadn't happened chronologically yet, her story and what she did for him really did go with the gospel from the very beginning. I think that's just a remarkable thing. Um, and what Jesus said that Mary did... Um, when Jesus said that what Mary did was better than helping the poor, I don't want us to um, come to the conclusion that he didn't care about the poor and needy. Um, very much not the case, nor was he diminishing their needs. There's many places in Scripture that teach us to care for the poor and needy. What he was saying here is that once again, Mary had chosen the best thing over a good thing, which requires a lot of wisdom and discernment. There would be plenty of opportunities to care for the poor and needy. There would be only this one chance left for Mary to lavish him with her gratitude and love before he died. 
Now, almost everybody was anointed with some sort of oil at their death. That would have been both to honor them and then to cover that smell of decay. But Jesus would die as a criminal. And because he died as a criminal, he wasn't allowed to be anointed in that way. This was it for him. I don't think Mary even fully understood that whole part of what she was doing, but Jesus understood it, and it blessed him. Because Mary was such a devoted student of Jesus' word and because she knew him and adored him so completely, she knew just how and when to put her faith into action. And she didn't need anyone else's approval or suggestion of how or when to do it. And she didn't need to fear the criticism of others because Jesus himself acted as her advocate. Mary knew her Savior, she loved him, she honored him well, and she knew him because she'd spent time with him every chance she got. She made time even when her work pressed in on her, and that deep relationship filled her with devotion and adoration and the willingness to serve him really sacrificially. And because of that, what Mary did was beautiful in God's sight. Mary praised, Jesus praised Mary because she was a woman who pursued knowing his word and who worshiped him well, I can think of no greater calling for us to be women who pursue Jesus and his word and to be deeply devoted followers of him. Deuteronomy 6.5 tells us what God desires from us. I put it on both your verse sheet and your outline. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Mary exemplified this kind of devotion, and as we walk alongside the Lord the rest of the summer and beyond, I pray that we would be women who are known for sitting at the feet of Jesus and adoring him with our whole hearts too. So let me pray for us. Lord God, you are good. We praise you. We thank you. I just thank you for drawing um, drawing us to you for um, making a way for us to be um, your daughters. I pray that we would be women of wisdom and discernment who follow you with our whole hearts, who love your word as nothing else, who follow it wholeheartedly, who believe it, and who put it into action. I just pray a blessing, Lord, over every woman here tonight. Um, she goes about the rest of her summer, um, that she would, that we would all just follow you well, God. Um, we thank you. We thank you for giving us the ability to do this. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.